Well, hello, YouTube Power Hour Squad. Erica here with another episode for you. And for this episode, I have Sarah Soltzi, and we dive into her channel and what makes her special, what makes her unique, and really, you know, how she's built up a really wonderful personal brand. But before we get into the interview, I want to welcome my newbies here. If you have just discovered the podcast, then welcome. This is a place for you if you are thinking of starting a YouTube channel, if you have a YouTube channel, if you've had a YouTube channel for years, then welcome. This is a great place for you. You'll be hearing lots of stories of lots of amazing, inspirational YouTube content creators. And for my returners, welcome again. Thank you for coming back week after week and hanging out with me and my fabulous guests. And for my newbies and my returners, if you haven't left an iTunes review yet, what are you waiting for? It helps so, so, so much. I appreciate it so, so much. Also, if you are on Instagram, I would love if you just take a little picture while you're listening and post it in your stories and tag me. I love seeing when you guys are listening to the podcast and what you're getting out of it. And it means so much to me when you guys do that and share it with your audience to help grow the world of the YouTube Power Hour podcast. So our guest this week is Sierra Solsi and Sierra creates fashion and body positivity content on YouTube and Instagram to inspire women of all sizes to be confident and embrace their curves. Sierra started YouTube in 2015 and has since grown her channel into a full-time business, working with top fashion and lifestyle brands like Express, Adore Me, and Just Fab, and more. So if you don't know who Sierra is, you'll get to know her by the end of this interview. She was such a joy and inspiration to talk to, and I really enjoyed my time with her, and I know you will too. So without further ado, enjoy the interview. Mwah. Well, hello, Sierra. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes. I'm so excited to talk to you and dive deep on your channel. But before we get into it, why don't you share with our audience a little bit about you and what inspired you to get onto YouTube? So my YouTube story is a little bit different. I started YouTube in 2015 and I was actually in college for musical theater. So I've always kind of had that creative bone in me where I, I love to create things. I love to, you know, even though YouTube, we don't think of it as art. I still think of it as, you know, it's a creative outlet. We're creating something and putting it out there. And when I was in my freshman year of college, I wasn't booking any roles because I was kind of in this weird in-between stage. I was a freshman. There wasn't really anything right for me. And my boyfriend, who's now my husband, but he was my boyfriend back then, he was like, hey, you should start a YouTube channel. You should do that Jenna Marbles thing. Like, I could see you doing that. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would I do that? And he's like, you you need that creative outlet. And even though I didn't jump on it right then, it really kind of like sat in my head and simmered. He planted I really, the seed. <laughs> yeah, he planted that seed and I couldn't get it out of my head. I'm like, wow, what if I did do that? That would be really cool. And one day I was sitting at home, bored, feeling creatively stifled. And I just decided to film my first video. I went out and spent like $100 on a microphone, which like put me into debt basically back then because I was a college student. And I really just took that leap of faith, filmed that video, and I fell in love with the process, not just being on camera, but the 
the whole back end side of it. I loved editing. I loved thinking of titles and video ideas. And by the end of that day, when I filmed my first video, I think I had like 10 videos planned out. I was so excited. And mm-hmm. I, I, I really just caught the bug. And ever since then, I've been posting every Friday since that first Friday. And I added a second upload day about a year and a half ago. Okay. So, um, when you, when you said you first started in 2015 and you're uploading once a week. Yes. Yeah. When in 2015? Uh, it was May, end of May, 2015. And then you said you added that second upload date, uh, like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think about a year into my channel, maybe a year and a half in, um, I was, I wasn't full time on YouTube, Mm. but I was putting all of my free time into it other Mm -hmm. than being a student and working my day job. Um, and I felt like that Friday video had to be perfect. And so if I thought of an idea that was maybe a little bit more out of the box, or I wanted to try something different, I would feel like I couldn't because I wanted my one video every week to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I just started saying, Hey, sometimes I'm going to post an extra video on Tuesdays. And I'm the kind of person where I can't like, I can't go halfway. I'm like an all in kind of person all the time. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I said, sometimes I'm going to post on Tuesdays, that turned into every Tuesday. Yeah. And so when you first started, you were, so you were consistently uploading once a week though, when you first started, I mean, you had those 10 videos in the pipeline and you said, Hey, I'm going to do yeah. that. And just, did you ever waver from that? No. So mm. I didn't, I've never missed a Friday upload. Mm. Um, I've missed a few of those Tuesday uploads here and there just to give myself some flexibility, but I've been pretty consistent with at least once a week. And what were you talking about when you, what, what did you want to talk about when you went on to YouTube? What was that, your niche? Did you have one? The, yeah, that was kind of the interesting thing is I didn't really know what I wanted to talk about when I started. I didn't start with like a perfect idea. I just knew that I wanted to create something. So in the beginning, you know, when you see most girls on YouTube, what are they doing? Beauty and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. Um, but I'm terrible at makeup, it turns out. <laughs> so that didn't last. Um, but I would do like some fun little DIY projects. I would talk about my life. And um, it was it was growing a little bit, but not anything that was a career. But I made one video about maybe two or three months into starting my channel that was uh, about like, how to style a curvy body. And it took off. It did really well. I got mm. a really great response from it. And I was like, hey, maybe I have something here. And I realized that no one else was really doing that. People who were talking about fashion were either plus size or, you know, really, really thin. And there wasn't really anyone in between. And that was what a lot of the comments I was getting was, were, oh my gosh, no one's doing this. I've never seen someone that actually looks like me. And I really started to focus on that. And that's what has grown my channel into, you know, something that I can do full time and something that I really like to think of as like, my baby, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you uploaded that, how to style a curvy body video, uh, did that gain you any new subscribers and how many views did that video get? So that first video, that first curvy video, I think, uh, in the beginning in the first week, it got like 10,000 views, which mm-hmm. at the time I was maybe getting a thousand in a video. So mm-hmm. I was really, really excited about that. Um, but it actually wasn't until, almost a year later when I did another curvy video that really took off. And that one was called like curvy do's and don'ts. And that video got, I think it's at 3 million now, Oh wow! but, uh, in the first month it got to about a million and my channel went from 20,000 subscribers to a hundred thousand in a week. And, um, yeah, pretty much overnight. I felt like this is something that I could do full time. And I really, 
like I took that leap. It probably wasn't the smartest decision because it might not have worked out, but I did after I hit a hundred thousand when I was experiencing that big surge of growth, I quit my job and I decided to try to do YouTube full time. And luckily it did work out, which was awesome. But I, I don't know if I would recommend that because I didn't have a, a backup plan really, but it, it worked out. That's crazy. <laughs> and so that was, you said about a year, year and a half after starting. Yes. So that was in September of 2016. So that mm. was, yeah. So that was actually about the halfway point from when I started my channel till now. Wow. And you went from 20K to 100K subscribers. And so what What was your, I want to say strategy, but how did you then approach a channel like right after that? Like what was the next video that you uploaded after that? So as soon as that video picked up, I was lucky in that the next video I was planning on posting was like a curvy hacks video mm. about a week and a half after I had that already in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was already filmed and edited. I just wasn't planning on posting it for another week and a half. So instead, what I did is to capitalize on that growth is I posted that as my next video. Mm -hmm. Smart. And that video also got a million views. Yep. Uh, yeah. Because then it's turning up in the recommended for mm -hmm. all those new viewers who are watching the do's and don'ts are now seeing this other video from the same person. It looks similar, similar words. And um, that really helped to kind of like snowball that growth so that I could kind of keep piggybacking off of that one video that did well. And where did your video, I'm sorry, where did your channel grow from there with that second video? Did you see it spike up again? It's hard to know because mm. I was still experiencing growth from, from that first. first video. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, it, it was bringing in a lot of new viewers. So I, I would think that it was also contributing to the subscriber growth. And then how did you approach your channel after that? I mean, that's crazy. So you quit your, that, I mean, that's crazy to quit your job <laughs> off of like one viral video. Essentially, that's what you did. When I think about the fact that I did that, I'm like, wow, I'm crazy. But <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad I did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes like your biggest successes come from taking risks like that. What yeah. changed? Did anything change with your channel the way that you approached it after you were able to quit your job? I was able to put a lot more time into planning out the videos. Mm -hmm. So before um, going into a shoot, I would just kind of have a rough idea of what I wanted to do. And now I have like detailed outlines of every video. If it's a skip video, I have a script. Um, I started working with a videographer. That video that went viral was actually the first video I ever filmed with my videographer. Mm. And I wasn't planning on being able to use him for all my videos because that's another expense and I wasn't mm -hmm. making a lot of money off my channel. But um, once I went full time and I was making more income from YouTube, I was then able to hire him on. And he films about 70% of my videos now. Mm -hmm. um, the other 30% is stuff that I can film on my own, you know, like a haul or a chatting video, something where I'm just sitting and talking, but anything with movement or skits or anything like that, he was able to help me with, which was really, really great. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for outsourcing when you need to. I mean, especially with YouTube, there's so many components to it. And I feel like a lot of the episodes this season, we're talking a lot about this of, you know, when you get to a certain point, you have to outsource something, whether yeah. it's, you know, the editing or the production or, you know, videographer. So does your videographer do the editing as well? No, I still do all my own editing. Mm -hmm. And, um, Part of it is because giving up creative control is really hard and I'm self-taught with editing and mm. I feel like, you know, I, I know my style and I know that there's, I'm sure there's an editor out there who could replicate my style and even better because they're a professional. But for right now, I'm sticking with doing my own editing. It's something I, I really get a lot of fulfillment out of and I really enjoy it. And right now, you know, 
YouTube is my full-time job and I feel like it's, it's okay for me to put as much time as I do into my editing, but you know, four or five years down the line, when my husband and I are like starting our family, then I will want to start outsourcing editing so that I can have more time to myself. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure it's even just a relief to have the videographer. Yeah, it really is. Especially because, you know, when I was starting out, I, if I needed like moving shots, I'd ask a friend or Mm -hmm. my mom or my Mm -hmm. husband and, um, they're not videographers, you know, they don't, they didn't go to film school. They don't know how to do that. And so when I was trying to express my vision to them, they didn't get it, you know? Um, but having someone who knows how to do all that stuff and make it look good, it, we work really well together. My videographer Mm -hmm. and I, we're a really good team. That's great. That's awesome. So what would you say your niche is for your channel? I would say my niche is curvy fashion. Mm -hmm. So um, anything that has to do with clothes, with outfits, with life hacks, with body positivity, kind of anything under that umbrella. Yeah. And I I would imagine that once you did that one video about, you know, how to style curvy body and then you did the curvy hacks, it's like, you know, at that point that the people that are subscribing to your channel they want to see that. They want to see that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I feel really, really fortunate in that what picked, what went off on my channel, what really took off is something I'm super passionate about. Yes. Because a lot of the times, you know, someone will make one slime video or something like that. And that's not something they love or they're passionate about, but it takes off. And then that's what their audience wants. That's and they such feel a good stuck point. in that rut. And I think it's important to think about the kind of audience member that you want, who is your perfect viewer? How old are they? What do they like? What do they do? And think about what kind of videos they want and cater to that because you want to make the kind of videos that are going to attract the type of people that you want to make videos for. And I, I didn't do that on purpose, but I really lucked out in that sense because, you know, my viewers are primarily female, my age, in, you know, in school or young moms or in high school and want to feel confident about their body. And I really, I really relate to that. And I feel like that's something that I really needed when I was in uh, that stage of life. And so it's nice that what took off on my channel is something that I truly am passionate about and that I feel really fulfilled by. I think that's such an important point. You brought up a couple of different really important points. And the the idea that, you know, what what took off is really resonated with you and your why and your whole, you know, with, with your purpose of being on YouTube. And because I work with some uh, YouTube creators in my boot camp and, you know, I, and I've spoken with other people too that I've had on the podcast. And what happens is like exactly you're right is that they're being creating videos and something takes off and then like, okay, I got to capitalize on this. And that's, that's kind of the strategy. If something does take off right. on your channel, you really should follow that up with very similar videos because exactly how you mentioned, you know, it will be related and that video will then piggyback off of the other video and then you'll get more and more subscribers. But what happens is you're, you're going to attract subscribers that want to watch those particular videos. So if it happens to, like you said, be a one-off, like a slime video or something that you were trying out, but maybe you weren't passionate about, now you're building up your entire channel. And I've known people who they got to 150, 200,000, 300,000 subscribers and they built up their channel to that particular niche because that's kind of what take, took off. And they're like, you know what? I am not res- I am not fulfilled. I am not motivated to make any more videos on this topic. And then essentially they either have to start over or just do a whole rebrand and say, okay, if this is what I'm doing. If you like it, great. Hopefully by then people have resonated with you as a person. As a person. But if they only want to watch those particular videos, 
You know, they're, they're, they're going to unsubscribe. And it is what it is. Because ultimately, the most important thing is that your, your content really reflects your why and your purpose for being on YouTube. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, a rebrand is always tough. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes in that situation, it's, it's better to revamp your content and figure out your why and craft your content around that. Totally. And I love what you said also about having your, your perfect viewer. I call it the avatar. Uh, in my boot camp, we spend an entire week focusing on your avatar because you're exactly right. Figure out who that perfect viewer is. Who is that person? Like you said, you knew their age, like their, you know, their, their, what they're doing, um, you know, are they in school or not? You, you know that about your viewer and you're making content exactly for that person that they want to see. Right. And there's always going to be outliers. Yes. You know, no one has an audience who is one demographic no. exactly. But if you can figure out who you want to cater to, they're going to enjoy that content. And other people will too, but figure out who you want to be attracting to your channel. So how do you utilize your audience to help you come up with video topics? So a lot of people will just, you know, leave uh, suggestions in the comments. And I read all my comments, every single comment. I, a lot of people say not to read them, but I find that, uh, the positive way outweighs the negative. So I like to read them. And a lot of people will leave suggestions. I'll do polls on my YouTube channel or on Twitter and now on Instagram, Instagram has polls. So I'll do that there too. Um, and every now and then like kind of when there's a new season of content coming up, whether it's an actual season, like spring or summer or, uh, a different season, like back to school or prom or something like that, whenever a new season of content is going to be coming up soon. And I want to start thinking of some ideas and figuring out what my audience wants. I'll ask in a video about a month before, Hey, what kind of videos do you guys want to see for back to school? Let me know down in the comments and I'll read through all those and and kind of pick and choose what I like and uh, what I think is going to do well with my audience. Do you take advantage of kind of seasonal type of topics? Yeah, yeah. I call those tentpole moments. Mm-hmm. So kind of like where everything comes together for for my viewers. So things like back to school, things like um, like bikini season, whatever it is that um, I think my audience really is going to want me to talk about, is going to want to hear. I try to capitalize on that, not only with my content, but also making sure that I put that in the title because those things are searchable. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Uh, that's great. So one of the questions I always ask, uh, everybody is what, uh, and I think you already talked about it, kind of that tipping point. It sounds like it was at that particular video. So we can skip over that unless there was some other tipping point that kind of took your channel to the next level. So it was actually right before that video, um, kind of what caused that video. So like the tipping point that caused the tipping point, right? Um, Yeah. When I had about 20,000 subscribers, I was chosen for a program called YouTube Next Up, Mm. which is run by YouTube. Basically, they choose about 15 up-and-coming creators between 10,000 and 100,000 subscribers who they feel like have something but just need that help, need that extra push. And they fly them out to LA, or in my case, drive up to LA, um, and they basically host you in a week-long YouTube boot camp. So they taught me everything about thumbnails, about metadata, filming, everything like that. And, um, and then they also gave me a grant for new equipment. 
And when I came back from that, I was really inspired and feeling really good about everything. And I booked a, a studio time at the YouTube space. And that's when I filmed that video with my videographer that went viral. So they really gave me all the skills that I needed to take that video that had the potential to go viral and make it viral. That's amazing. I heard about that program. They don't do it anymore, right? I think they do, um, but it's kind of seasonal. Mm. So they usually do it like once or twice a year and it'll pop up on your YouTube dashboard if you're eligible for it. Mm -hmm. So you can just apply through there. I think I applied like a day before the deadline because I just saw it pop up. Mm. Um, And then I got chosen for it and it was like the single best experience for my channel and really gave me the skills to make my YouTube channel a full-time career. Wow, that's incredible. How many, you said they give it to 10 people? Um, I think it's anywhere from 10 to 20 people. Mm. My class was about 15 channels, I think. Uh, did you stay in contact with the people that you had your class with? Yeah, yeah. I've um, One of them I actually um, filmed a few collabs with. I went up and stayed with her in San Francisco during Generation Beauty. And a few of the other ones I've seen at other YouTube conventions since then. We have a Facebook group where we all like, you know, congratulate each other. One of the people in my next up group was, have you seen those um, Ellen videos of the dad and daughter who sing Dizzy songs together? No. Uh-uh. Oh that my gosh. They're so cute. <laughs> yeah. They were uh, in my next up group and they had like 80,000 subscribers. And then like maybe a few months after next up, they got uh, Ellen found them mm. and they now have like over a million. Yeah. That's um, crazy. They went viral like super quick. That's amazing. That's so yeah. cool. And it's fun because we all celebrate each other's successes. Yeah. You know, when that happened, everyone was like, yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's so cool. So are there a couple of things? What are some things that you learned during that time with YouTube that you just weren't applying before that you felt really made a difference? So YouTube is uh, at that YouTube class or next up, they're the ones who taught me that whole idea about your ideal viewer. Mm. Who's your ideal viewer? What are they like? And they made us do like a, like a high school style worksheet about like making up our viewer. We had to give them like a name and what they do and all this stuff. And it's, you know, it was a little bit silly, but it really helped me to connect with my audience more. That's so funny. That's what I do in my YouTube bootcamp. Yeah. It's the exact oh, it's same thing. We did, we spent a whole week on the avatar and I have a whole workbook and I make people go through it because it's so important. So important. Mm-hmm. Um, so they taught me that. They also taught me about um, the fact that I can use the YouTube space, which I had no idea about. So anyone with over 10,000 subscribers can use the YouTube studios for free. I learned about how to actually use and operate my camera because mm. I didn't really know any of that. They gave us like a a boot camp about learning our equipment and all that. And then um, I learned about three point lighting, which mm-hmm. was, I had no idea about that. And it makes a world of difference to have good lighting. So tell people a little bit about three point lighting and what do you do now with your lighting? Yeah. So three point lighting is basically um, just the idea that you have your subject, you have um, a light that's shining brighter on their good side and then, or basically, this is like the layman's terms, you know, I'm not, I'm not a lighting expert, but you have a light that's a little bit sh- uh, brighter and more direct on their good side. For me, that's my left. And then they have a light that's a little bit further back on the other side. So for me, my right, and then a light that's above to give you a little bit of depth and a little bit of backlight. And uh, that's what I do now. I have two box lights and then a smaller light that goes overhead. And um, I recently upgraded my lighting. So I was very excited about that before I was using um, just 
it's like a hundred dollar softbox from Cowboy Studios. Mm. And now I have uh like a more high tech fluorescent light kit from B and H. Mm, nice. Yeah, lighting makes a world of difference. So you don't use any natural light? No, I don't. Mm. But natural light is a great way to go, especially when you're starting out. Mm, gotcha. I know it is. It is. because But not everybody has the opportunity to be able to use natural light. They can't always no. film during the day or they don't have the right room. Yeah, I, I do my filming kind of sporadically. So I like to be able to control it with my lighting and make sure that it always looks the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. It does make a difference. It's subconsciously, I think it does. All right. So what is the, the thing that you struggle with when it comes to your YouTube channel? I really struggle with content strategy, I guess is the word. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That sounds a little bit too businessy to me. But, you know, I have so much creative energy and I have a lot of passion for it. But I feel like sometimes I'm working hard, but I'm not working smart. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll put a lot of time and a lot of effort into a video and I'll put a lot of time into the thumbnail and make it perfect. But if I'm not thinking like on the right strategy, like how can I make this have the optimal views or get the optimal eyes on this? And I'm not really thinking about that. I'm just thinking about how I'm excited for my viewers to see it. And I feel like sometimes that stifles my growth a little bit. Like I would be able to grow more if I was thinking about it more from a strategic standpoint. But I really struggle to do that because I'm I'm really content with my viewers. And of course, I want to grow. But sometimes I find it hard to focus on the strategy side of it and think about how can I get more eyes on this using all the right tools and metadata and all that. Why do, why do you think it's, is it hard? Is it just that you have certain things that you want to put up and it doesn't always align with that or you've done? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's mainly it. You know, I have videos that I really want to make and that I, and that my viewers really want me to make, Mm -hmm. but those aren't necessarily always the things that are going to be drawing in new viewers. They're not necessarily searchable. They're not necessarily going to do well in the algorithm. Mm -hmm. And so lately what I've really been trying to do is to balance those two things, to do some videos that I know are going to do well in the algorithm. And then I know are going to bring in new viewers. And then to also do some videos that aren't going to, but that are really fun and that my everyday viewers are going to love. So how do you, yeah, how do you balance that? Um, I just, when I'm planning out my videos, cause I plan out my videos pretty far in advance. Like right now I'm planned out through July. Um, so when I'm planning out my videos, I try to create a balance of videos that are going to take a lot of time, but are going to do really well algorithm wise. And then also videos that are going to take a lot of time, but that I really like. And then mm-hmm. also some videos that are a little bit simpler and more easy to film. Don't take so much time in both of those categories. So have you ever done a video that uh, you you thought, ah, this is, I'm just doing this for my subscribers, right? This is no purpose for SEO. And it actually did better than you thought. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot like that. A lot of my lookbooks, because I never really expect lookbooks to go viral. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they, my audience really, really likes them, but they don't necessarily bring in a lot of new viewers. And I've had a few lookbooks that got like over 100,000 views. And I was really excited about that. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. What about videos that you've done that you thought, yes, I mean, this is a no brainer. And then they just didn't do as well as you thought they would. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times the culprit of that is not putting enough time into my title and thumbnail. Yeah. Um, I can have the perfect video in the world, but if, if it doesn't have the right eye-catching thumbnail and title, it's not going to get eyes on it. And then I put all that time into a video for nothing. 
So I've, I've really been trying to make sure that as much time as I put into the content, that I also spend enough time focusing on getting eyes on it because I worked hard on that. And, you know, I think it deserves to have as good a chance as it can to, to have people see it. I mean, you cannot underestimate the importance of a really good thumbnail and also title to bring people in. Absolutely. Sometimes if I have a really good idea for a title, I'll build a whole video around that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. And I know people that actually do their, and we've talked about it here on the podcast, people that actually do their thumbnail even before they do their video. Yeah. And I've, I've done that before too, because I'll have a, a very good idea of the thumbnail in my mind. And another thing I always try to do is um, make sure that my thumbnail isn't just a screen grab. Mm-hmm. I always try to take my thumbnail specifically and, you know, do whatever I need to do to it to make it eye-catching and bright and pop. So what would you say are your rules for a good thumbnail? For me, it's, um, I, I try to make it kind of supplement the title. So I don't want to have the exact same words that are in the title as the words on the thumbnail picture. Mm-hmm. I want it to be something that contributes to it instead of just repeating it. So um, like my video on Friday is going to be about bikini hacks. So bikini shopping life hacks. The title is going to be something like, you know, bikini shopping life hacks, but I'm not going to put those exact words on the thumbnail picture. It'll say something like how to find the perfect bikini or my perfect bikini, something like that. So that it adds, they add to each other and they both contribute to making someone want to click. Totally. I I always say that, you know, the thumbnail and the title work together to tell a story. And if you are going to put any, and you don't have to put text in a thumbnail. I mean, some thumbnails do really well without any text. Absolutely. If if you're going to put text in there, it should really enhance the title. It should enhance what the photo is all about. So many people make the mistake of thinking, oh, this video is, uh, you know, VIB Sephora Cell Picks 2018. And they'll like literally in a box, right? VIB Sephora Cell Picks 2018, like in the thumbnail. It's like, you know, you don't need to, you don't need that. People can read the title. If you're going to put words, it should, it should really draw people in. You know, it should be like emojis or question marks or, you know, one or two word, you know, phrases or something that just someone's attention. Right. Absolutely. And another thing that I'll do um, to make sure that it's catching people's attention is I'll look at the thumbnail in different sizes because mm-hmm. people are rarely going to be looking at it at the big size that you're editing it. So I'll make it really, really small. And can I still read it? Is it still eye catching? What can I see when it's so, so small? Like when people are scrolling on mobile um, and a lot of the times it'll change the way that I'm designing my thumbnail And I think it's really important to not just hyper-focus on the thumbnail as the big picture that you're looking at it, but look at it at a bunch of different sizes because that's that's the way most people are going to be seeing it. Totally. Making sure that it it still pops at that small size is Uh so, so crucial. That's a really good tip. All right. So... Next is we're going to go into the best tips section of the interview. And these are just kind of quick tips that you think of at the top of your head. So what is your best tip for starting a YouTube channel? Just do it. Post your first video today. Post another one next week. Post another one the week after. You have to just do it. If you sit there and you overthink it, you're never going to do it because it's never going to be perfect. Mm. And you really, you can grow as as you start your channel. So you're going to get better every video that you edit. You're going to get more comfortable in front of the camera every time you film. So you have to just start somewhere and learn as you grow. Totally. What is your best tip for what not to do on YouTube? 
don't, don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't throw yourself into a niche as soon as you start and not deviate from that at all, because you might be missing out on something that's really, really special. Give yourself room to try out new formats and new series and new ideas um, and see what sticks, see what your audience likes and see what more importantly, what you like and what you're passionate about. Yeah. And, uh, I think one of the rules that, I, that I have, uh, with my bootcamp is when you come up with a niche, that's great. And 70% of your videos sh- should be your niche and the 30% should be whatever you want. Experiment. Because a uh-huh. lot of times people get hesitant with coming up with a niche, even though they're excited about the niche and they want to do the niche because they're like, well, that's not like what I'm all about. Like I have other things. I'm like, well, that's great. It does help to have a niche on YouTube. That is probably the quickest way to grow. At the same time, you just never know what's going to stick. You never know what people are going to resonate with. And you also don't want to feel stifled with what you're doing. So definitely take that, you know, 30% and just do whatever you want. I think that's great advice because mm-hmm. it's, it's so important to switch it up, to try new things. And you look at channels who have had long-term success, you know, people like Shane Dawson or Alicia Marie, people who've been in it for the long haul, they're always changing their content. They're always looking for a way to pivot and reinvent what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And their audience sticks with, with them through it all. Totally. No, it's true. It, it, I mean, some sometimes if it's the, not the right fit, the person will lose interest and that's fine because ultimately yeah. you want the people that are diehard anyways, because those are the exactly. people that are going to move the needle. Those are the people get, that are going to either, you know, buy what you're selling, click on those affiliate links, tune into every video, watch the whole thing. Those are the people you want anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is your best tip for growing on YouTube? My best tip for growing on YouTube would be don't underestimate the importance of your title, your thumbnail, and your metadata. So metadata being your description and your tags. Those are really, really important to get you recommended, to get you in related, to get you in search. So really make sure that if you're putting all that time into your video, that you're putting enough time into metadata, thumbnail, and title so that you can grow. Totally. Yeah. Those are great tips. Uh, what is your best equipment tip? My, uh, audio. Get a good microphone. You can get one for like 50 to 100 bucks on Amazon. Um, the Rode mic is a great one to start with because if if I click on a video and the audio is bad, I don't, I don't usually stick around. Mm-hmm. I, it's one of those things that seems so small, but it really contributes to how professional your video is coming off. So I would invest in a, a microphone. If you're starting out, it can be something really small, like a, a $15 road mic. If you want to get really nice equipment, I really like having the Zoom H4n. It's uh, an external audio recorder. And then I have a road mic that I plug into that. The whole setup there is about, I think, 400 bucks. And it is something like equipment like that doesn't need to be upgraded hardly ever. It's something that you'll have forever and that'll be in it for the long haul. Definitely. Audio is so, so, so important. I think it's a little underrated too, the importance of audio. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. People will not, people will not listen or tune in or keep watching if the audio is bad. No, I'll, I'll watch an iPhone quality camera video all day, but if the audio is patchy, I don't want to stick around. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's so true. Um, okay. Now we're into the beauty bonus round. This is the last part of the interview. And 
this is where I just provide you a series of questions that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. So I would say because you're more style, uh, Uh what would be your three just absolute must-have style pieces? And you can even say brand and specific, you know, type or whatever. Awesome. So um, as far as brands, I think a style must-have is like, I love anything from Express, especially for a more mature woman. Um, it really, really flatters your figure and it, it's more professional. It looks put together. And um, the pieces are really, really good, like quality for the price. So I'd say that's probably my favorite brand. I'd say my style must have specifically would be a black dress. Everyone needs a little black dress. Um a good kimono. I love kimonos. They're so good for layering. You can wear, add them to a dress, a romper, a jumpsuit, a pair of jeans, and a t-shirt, anything like that. And probably a good set of basic tees in simple colors because you can layer those with a bunch of different jackets and, and layers and all that kind of stuff. Do you have like specific brands for those products? Yes. I love the basic V-neck tees from Madewell. They are amazing. They're so comfortable. They're lightweight. For my for black dresses, like I said, Express is great. I love, um, there's this uh, black dress. I think it's called the surplus flutter dress or something like that it's amazing I have it in black and yellow and um for kimonos I love the bcbg kimonos Mm. all good picks thank you (laughs) all right uh what do you use to edit uh what's your camera and I think you already talked about your lighting but you know what's all the equipment that you use Yes. So um, for my camera, I use the Canon 70D with the 35 millimeter Sigma lens. And I love the Sigma because it has a really high f-stop. So that means that the background is really blurred and my face uh, is like really, really sharp focus. And I really like the look of that, especially for like beauty videos, fashion videos. I For my audio, like I said earlier, I use the Zoom H4n with a Rode mic plugged in. And then for my skip videos, I also have a Sennheiser mic, which is um, like a lav mic. So that's really great for filming skits or things where I'm further away from the camera and I can move around and it's it's clipped to me. That one was a little bit more expensive, though. That was a little bit more of an investment. Uh, but if you're doing skip videos, definitely would recommend getting Sennheisers or like fitness videos, anything like that where you're going to be moving. Those are great. My lighting is a three lighting box set from B&H. And uh, for editing, I use Final Cut Pro. And then I also have extension packs from Pixel Film Studios, which is just a website where you can buy different transitions and effects and text and that kind of stuff. And I really feel like it adds a personal touch and a, a personal style to my videos. Yeah, that's great. What was that, the brand of the lavalier mic that you, that you use? Sennheiser. Okay. How do you spell that? It is S-E-N. I'm looking at it right now. S E N H E I S E R. Okay. So I'm going to have all this stuff in the show notes for you guys that maybe want to check out what, uh, what she uses. Awesome. All right. Uh, the next question, what would you not do again if you were to start your YouTube channel right now? <sighs> I would... I would not sweat the small stuff. Mm. I feel like, uh, you know, I've had videos that I filmed where the audio wasn't recording at all and I had to refilm it. I had drives fail on me and lose, you know, three or four videos that were pre-filmed and pre-edited. 
And I've had, um, actually when I first started my first channel after having three videos, it got deleted, um, because it was like set up with a high school email. So oh. it like, wasn't valid or something like that. And I had already had like 500 subscribers and I was so upset. And at each of those things, it felt like the end of the world. It felt mm-hmm. like everything that I had worked for was gone. Why am I even, why am I even doing YouTube? Is this even worth it? And if I would have quit when I had 500 subscribers and I felt like my world was crashing down or when I had 30,000 subscribers and my drive failed, if I would have quit at those things, I never would have come as far as I have. And I really just wish that I would have been able to have that perspective. And look, I feel like now it, it makes me a lot, it makes me a lot more tough when things don't go right to know that, you know, it's, it's temporary. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah. Look at the bigger picture. I love that. Yeah. Oh, what is the, oh, who would be your dream collaboration? My dream collaboration. Hmm. Probably. I'm going to do this answer twofold. One that I think would be really good for my channel and one that's just a YouTuber that I really admire and think would be great. So one that I think would be really cool for my channel would be, um, uh, her name is Loi. She does like plus size fashion and that kind of stuff. And I actually watched her channel long before I started YouTube and we, our style is kind of similar and I do curvy stuff and she does plus size. So I feel like that would be really, really cool. And then just my person that I would love to collaborate with would probably be, huh, probably be like Laura DIY or Alicia Marie or um, Mia Sammer or someone in that group because they all have that really fun, bright, poppy style. Mm -hmm. Um, And I watched them before I did YouTube, so I feel like that would be fun. That's awesome. Um, What did you wish that you did do when you first started? (sighs) I wish that I... I wish that I was, I wish I celebrated my smaller triumphs more because I feel like I was always looking for big milestones. And I think I, I missed out a little bit on some of the excitement at the beginning of that. And I I wish I would have just kind of savored that a little bit more. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. What is the biggest mistake that you've made in your YouTube career? (sighs) Biggest mistake, not backing up my hard drives. (laughs) Oh God. When you put all that time into videos, have it in multiple places because it might not be saved on the one that you have. Drives fail. Uh, like it happens. Yeah, it's going to happen to you. If it hasn't happened to you yet, I promise it's going to have everything backed up. Yeah. Good advice. Um, what is the smartest decision you've made in your YouTube career? Smartest decision I've made probably. Um, going, going to every event and every possible thing that I can, Mm. because every door that I've walked through has opened 20 more. Every person that I've met at a YouTube class or a convention or a party has led to 10 other opportunities. And I think capitalizing on all of those little things that might seem insignificant has led to a lot of really great opportunities for me. Yeah. I mean, don't underestimate the power of connections and human connections and meeting with people person. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, not every person that you meet is going to do something for you. Not every person that you meet is going to teach you something new, but just like any job, it's really, really great to have that human interaction and to meet with other people who are doing the same thing as you. And every time I've come away from some sort of video conference or YouTube event, 
I am so inspired Mm -hmm. and I've learned so much from all these other people and they've learned from me too. And so don't underestimate that power of connection, collaboration, and learning from other people in the creative space. What are some of your favorite uh, conferences to go to? Um, I'm actually tomorrow I'm leaving for Clamor, which I really, really love. It's a a YouTube convention. This is only the second year, Mm -hmm. but it's only for the creators. There's no fan aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So everyone's really on the same level. It's really cool. It's really low key. All the networking is really casual. And I like that a lot. VidCon, of course, is always so fun, but it is a little bit more corporate, I guess. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it feels like there's barriers up to meeting creators or talking to people. And I I find that events that are a little bit smaller are a little bit easier to get your foot in the door. Definitely. Uh, Okay. What is your favorite video or the video that you're most proud of? My favorite video on my channel is probably my video about uh, things curvy girls are tired of hearing. That was one that I felt like I was kind of taking some power back. It was all real things that people have said to me in my life. So it was kind of fun to like take those bad experiences and turn them into content. Um, So I really enjoyed that one. And my audience really enjoyed that one. And I think probably my best video, like content wise is what uh, my bikini confident life hacks video because it combined really high quality production value, a really good message and a message that I'm really passionate about, which is to love yourself and be confident and wear what makes you feel comfortable along with um, a a style that's really true to what I do in my everyday videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, And what is your favorite opportunity you got as a result of being on YouTube? I recently got to do a video with Express, Mm. which I basically just said a whole love letter to them at the beginning of uh, this little uh, rapid fire round because I love Express so much. And uh, I couldn't believe it when I got that email that said that they wanted to do a sponsor video with me. I just about dropped my phone on the floor. I was so excited because I talk about them all the time on my Mm. channel. And so to get acknowledged by that and to get paid to talk about one of my favorite brands was like the coolest thing. Did they say how they found you? Um, no, they didn't. But they said, can you do a video like this and linked to a lookbook that I did that featured them? Mm. Um, so I'm assuming it had something to do with that. <laughs> mm, yeah, they probably saw and was like, okay, this is great. We want, we yeah. want her to do this. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Uh, la- no. Yes. Last question. What is your superpower? Meaning, what is it that you have that comes naturally to you that has contributed to your success? I am very animated on camera. And I think that is something that has really lent itself to YouTube well. Mm -hmm. I grew up in theater, so I'm used to playing to the back row. So I'm very animated. I'm very expressive. I have good diction and I I speak loudly and clearly, and that has made uh, it's. I think it's probably a little overwhelming sometimes because I'm a little loud, but uh, I think it's really made my videos really engaging and really powerful in a way that's natural to me. I don't ever feel like I'm playing it up to the camera. That's really the way I am all the time. That's that's so great, and that and that's awesome. And, and you're right. That's part of the it factor that makes certain people do really really well on YouTube. And and I don't want to say you either have it or you don't. Like everyone has that special something within them or something that that gives them that spark or brings their best best uh-huh. self on camera. But for some people, it just comes easier than others. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And if that's not something that comes easy to you, I would highly recommend taking an improv class Mm -hmm. because it will take that little thing inside of you that's special and put it out to the world. It'll make you better at at talking, at improvising, at being uh, expressive. So take improv. That's my best advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, improv is, is great. I mean, there, there's there's so many different things that, that you can do, but improv is a great way just to kind of exercise that muscle of being spontaneous and, and having that confidence. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. You are a wealth of knowledge. You gave oh, thank you so, so much. much information. And it's just really, it was just a pleasure just talking to you and having you here on the show. Where can people find you if they're not familiar with you and your channel? So you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Sierra Schultze. That's Schultze, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z-Z-I-E. I know it's very difficult to spell, not very good branding. <laughs> and on Instagram at, at Schultze and also on Twitter as at Schultze. So uh, if you came from the podcast, send me a DM, send me a message, let me know. And I'd love to chat with you guys. Well, thank you so much, Sierra, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and tolerating my sick voice. (laughs) (laughs) You sound fine. Good. I don't think anyone would have been able to tell uh, until you just said that you were sick. So Sierra is a trooper. Uh, We had to schedule, reschedule a little bit because she was fighting the flu, but she's back and she's like, I'm going to be on the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye bye. Well, there you go. That is our interview. And if you enjoy this, please give the podcast a review. It helps so, so much. I will see you next week. Mwah.